May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This past week, the New York Times reported on how Ivan Schoenard, the 83-year-old billionaire founder of the outdoor clothing and gear company Patagonia, has given away the company. In August, he and his family irrevocably transferred all of Patagonia's voting stock into a newly established entity known as the Patagonia Purpose Trust. The trust is intended to ensure that Patagonia continues to make good on its commitment to run a socially responsible company and to give away its profits. Then the Schoenard family donated the rest of the company, its common shares, to a new nonprofit organization, which will now receive all the company's profits and use the funds to combat climate change. There was no tax benefit to the family in setting up either of these entities, and in fact, they paid tens of millions of dollars in taxes to establish them. Patagonia has long given away 1% of its profits to fight climate change, and it's become more politically active in recent years. Uh, it sued the Trump administration to protect the Bears Ears National Monument in Utah, for example. But as he aged, Schoenard and his children worried what would happen to the company's core values if he sold the company or if it went public and was beholden to shareholders. Schoenard is sort of an eccentric guy for a billionaire, and he claims that he never really wanted a company anyway. Uh, he didn't want to be a businessman. And he said to the Times, hopefully this will influence a new form of capitalism that doesn't end up with a few rich people and a bunch of poor people. We are going to give away the maximum amount of money to people who are actively working on saving this planet. Needless to say, billionaires giving away their billions in their lifetimes is an exceedingly rare occurrence, um, especially since several other billionaires have been shooting themselves into space lately uh, on vanity trips, while Schoenard is giving his wealth away to preserve the only planet that we have. He and his family will still have more than enough to live on with this arrangement, so why is this kind of generosity from the super-rich so very rare? Jesus says it's because a person cannot serve two masters, cannot serve both God and wealth. Or you might remember in some of the older translations of the Bible, God and mammon from the Greek mammona, this, which is the unjust thing in which you place your trust. The theologian Ched Myers says that a central plot strand in the Bible is the archetypal struggle between manna and mammon. Manna, you may remember, is the bread-like substance that Yahweh used to feed the Hebrew people when they were wandering in the wilderness after their escape from Pharaoh in Egypt. The manna would appear every morning like dew on the land and they were instructed to gather it, but to only gather what they needed for that day, except on the day before the Sabbath when they could gather two days' worth. But any more than a day's portion 
would get wormy and moldy and disgusting. And this was God's way of ensuring that his people trusted in God for their provision. There was no other uh, course. They had to trust that the manna would be there the next day. And when Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, our daily portion, our daily enough, his first hearers would be hearing echoes of that. Give us this day our the manna that we need for this day. In this portion of Luke, Jesus says, you have to choose manna or mammon. He urges us to secede from the economic systems which we think are benefiting us, but which are actually killing us and killing the planet. The writer and farmer Wendell Berry has said, if we do not serve what coheres and endures, we serve what disintegrates and destroys. But that last part of the gospel we heard is the part that makes a little more straightforward sense. It's that first part of the, of the story that we heard, the parable, that is really confusing. The part where Jesus says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. If you missed that part, um, we have more coffee uh, after church and you can... <laughs> You could wake up, but that should, have, that should have set off some alarms about Jesus saying, make friends for yourself um, by means of dishonest wealth. It's a little off message for him. One important thing to know about this story is that in the first century, all interest rates for loans would have fallen under what we call usury um, or predatory lending. So um, these are all like, you know, credit card interest rates of 20% are like good in the ancient world. They're very exploitive. And so this rich man um, gets a negative report that his steward or his manager has been squandering the money and he decides to fire him. But his big mistake is not having him pack up his cubicle like then and there. He, he gives him a few days to, to get settled. And in this time, we hear the manager's internal monologue about what, you know, what am I going to do? And so he decides before he leaves to make a huge deposit into the bank of social capital, uh, into his community. And his shrewdness is that he knows that money is not the only currency in the world. Um, that there are your connections, your relationships with other people. And so he reduces all the debts that are owed to his master, and he um, buys himself some new friends who, when he's out of his ear, are going to be um, willing to receive him and to help him. And so the master, when he looks at the books and he realizes what's happened, he commends the manager, not because he's thrilled that he was cheated, but because he has respect for um, the way that the manager spun the situation to his advantage on his way out the door. But then why does Jesus commend the manager too? And I think that this is a parable about double-crossing the double-crosser. Uh, the rich man is profiting off the poor with these incredibly high interest rates and these fees. The manager dishonestly reduces those dishonest rates and so takes a burden off the poor um, so oddly, two wrongs sort of make a right here in a roundabout way. But Jesus is also commenting on 
the absurd economic system that is so exploitive that has got us to this place where you can cheat your manager and actually you're doing a good thing or cheat your boss. Um, and I think the example that comes to mind right now is the situation with student loans in this country, whereas um, for those of you who've been following this story, if you've been reading more deeply, you know it's not just about um, loan repayment, it's about these systems have been set up uh, you, you can't go bank, you can't declare bankruptcy on student loans. These loans are sold to different companies. There's been a lot of um, unfair dealing with borrowers, uh, with young people and their parents that's coming to light um, in this whole situation. So the whole system needs to be uh, rethought. And then Jesus says, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. And he's saying, come on, righteous people, can't you be as creative in reversing injustice as the dishonest manager? Um, elsewhere, Jesus has a great line where he says, be wise as the serpent and innocent as the dove. Um, be clever and shrewd in the cause of righteousness. Doves are very beautiful. They're very stupid birds. And so we want to imitate their innocence, but not the brain power of the doves. Um, to face up to the powers and principalities of this world and to do good, you need a little bit of that serpent skill. You need to be a holy troublemaker, some people say. Ched Myers, the theologian, calls this the parable of the defective manager, with a pun implying that, you know, he's not doing his job, but he's also defecting. You know, he is launching himself out of this corrupt system. He's choosing community over capital, a bit like how Mr. Schoenard of Patagonia just sort of parachuted himself out of the billionaire's club in order to use his giant company to fight the other giant companies that are polluting the planet. That is some righteous shrewdness. I want to point out that Jesus doesn't say that money is bad. Money is neutral. Money is a power. It's not good or bad. It just is. But how we think about it, the choices that we make about it, are very important to the health of our souls. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, uh, to quote another scripture. It's not the money itself. It's the choices we make about it. Whether we have money or not, how we save it, everything about money affects our health, where we live, what we eat, the educational opportunities that we have, everything. Some of us, uh, at all different income brackets, think about money all the time. Others of us don't want to think about it unless we absolutely have to. Everything we have has been given to us by God. We say that a lot in the church. But another way of saying that is, all our money really belongs to God. And that cuts a little closer to the bone. Someday we're told we'll, call to be given, we'll, we'll be called on to give an account of how we spent our days, how we spent our money. What did we do with the resources that we had in the time that we were given? How did we extend God's generosity to others? And of course, money is only one of the tools that we have for this, but it's an important one. Nobody here is a billionaire, um, but each of us can be faithful with what we have been given, even the young people among us. 
I've mentioned before that tracking my family's spending has changed my relationship with money and how I spend and how I save. It's helped me to get back towards putting this power in its place to think about what I really value and how God is calling me to spend my money and my time. These are spiritual questions and religious questions, but they're also really practical. Whoever is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Do you know what your household spends in a year and what your expenses are? Do you know what percentage of your income you give away each year, not just in a pledge to grace, but all your giving? What percentage of your income is generosity? Is your spending on discretionary things and consumer purchases where you want it to be? For many of us, that's not the case. But you have to know what your spending <laughs> on consumer purchases is before you can know if it's where you want it to be. These are all preliminary questions that we need to answer if we want to store up treasure in heaven and not only on earth. And we all are in different circumstances, uh, including our family background, but also our race, our gender, our disability status, as well as uh, many other factors that influence our financial situations. But each of us can be faithful according to what we've been given in money and time and in using our gifts and our talents for others. The defective manager realizes as he's about to get fired the value of community, the value of social capital. The pursuit of wealth can keep us from investing in our relationships with family, with friends and neighbors in the way that we want, in the way that we even intend. Don't delay making investments in what Stephen Covey calls the relationship bank account. We never know how much time we have left with those that we love. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Over and over again, Jesus teaches that the path of giving, the path of sacrifice, of sharing, of investing in community, that's the path that leads to abundant life and grants us the freedom and the loving relationships that we long for with each other and with God. For those of you who would appreciate a resource to help jumpstart your thinking about faith and money, um, I have two recommendations. One is called the Faith and Money Network, and you can find it online, and it has a lot of great resources. And there's another book called Free by Mark Scandrett, that is from a Christian perspective and is very practical in thinking about um, how our faith and our, our money and our values align. So this week, think about one area where you could use what you have more faithfully and more generously. Just start in one, one small area in service of helping to create a more just world and to care for this planet that sustains our life. In God's name, amen.